So Deontay Wilder has apparently officially triggered the rematch clause for a third fight against the Gypsy King Tyson Fury. What can he do different, if anything? In my pre-fight prediction for the rematch, I said that Deontay Wilder should concentrate on using his jab more. Not a lot of people realize that he actually out-jabbed Tyson Fury in the first fight, 248 jabs to 223. If Deontay doesn't jab, Tyson Fury would jab. So he should jab with the jabber. 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 And in the first two rounds of the rematch, he was actually even with Tyson Fury in terms of jabs landed before Fury's pressure effectively took his jab away. You see both men in the first two rounds with 10 jabs landed. 10 jabs landed. You see, Wilder needs time and space to get his jab off. And Fury simply didn't allow him that. He kept the pressure on, which forced Wilder to rush his punches, resulting in them being less accurate and less powerful. It was a very well-executed strategy by Tyson Fury, one which I certainly did not anticipate. I clearly stated before the rematch that I expected Fury to box on the back foot and thus give Wilder the time and space needed to get his jab off. Are Team Fury serious about trying to walk Deontay Wilder down and knock him out? I'm going to assume that Team Fury are not serious about that. I'm going to assume that it's just mind games and misdirection from them and that Fury's actually going to come out and box his usual fight. Lots of movement, feints, upper body movement, foot movement, etc. And as such, my prediction is predicated on that assumption. My prediction is predicated on that assumption. It's kind of like David Price. He's a big, tall guy, Price. He's six foot eight, and people criticize him for not utilizing his jab correctly against shorter men. But it's easier said than done, particularly if you don't have the coordination or the speed, the reflexes necessary to be able to time your jab against shorter guys coming in. And that's the issue with Pricey. He isn't able to get his jab off quick enough when short guys like Derek Chisora come in at him bobbing and weaving. And with Deontay Wilder, same thing. If you stand off Wilder, as Fury did in the first fight, he can get his jab off and he can be very effective with it. Tyson Fury and Ben Davison have both said that Deontay Wilder has got an underrated jab. But in the Fury rematch, as I say, Fury just didn't give him the time and space to use it, was on him constantly and made Deontay Wilder rush his punches. And because he was rushing his shots, they weren't as accurate and they weren't as powerful. And eventually he managed to, Tyson Fury that is, wear Deontay Wilder down to the point where his punch output was just going down in general, less jabs coming from him, less right hands. And then Tyson Fury was able to walk straight in the front door without even knocking at that point. So what happens in the third fight? Can Deontay Wilder utilize his jab as well or better than he did in the first fight? Well, in the second fight, Deontay was shocked by Tyson Fury's tactics, as was I. He didn't anticipate being under so much pressure. And Tyson Fury was stepping into his own jab, which was rocking Deontay Wilder back on his heels and making any chance of countering far less likely. So he was shocked by that. Going into the third fight, he will know better that he's going to be under pressure. Unless Tyson Fury is going to switch it up again and decide to move, and he might. But he will certainly be more aware that Tyson Fury has a front foot game that can trouble him. And therefore, he's going to bring in sparring partners who are going to be more front foot focused, attacking him, using their jab, walking him down, etc. 
From a technical point of view, I don't really think Wilder can improve that much from the second to the third fight. But in terms of mental preparation and just sparring sharpness and knowing what to expect tactically, he can prepare a bit better. Will it make the difference in the fight and allow him to win or at least allow him to do better than he did in the second? Possibly allow him to do better, although that also comes down to Deontay Wilder's mental attitude in terms of did he accept the loss? Does he understand what went wrong? Is he really hanging his loss on the uh, suit that he wore to the ring, wearing his legs down on Mark Breland, on the referee? Does he really in his brain believe all these things led to his loss? If he does, then I have to imagine he's going to lose even more decisively in the third fight. But if he actually accepts what happened to him and he understands that he's the one that made a whole heap of mistakes, then maybe he can do a bit better in the third fight, as I say, just by being more mentally prepared for the type of strategy that Tyson Fury is likely to employ, having those kind of sparring partners in, learning to deal with that type of style, that type of approach. And perhaps Deontay Wilder will use his legs a bit more, box on the back foot, move around. Now, he's obviously not very graceful. He's not very well coordinated. So you wouldn't have thought that type of strategy would be tremendously effective against Tyson Fury, but he might be able to make it a bit awkward for him if he decided to do that, move around. And remember, Tyson Fury at 273 pounds, he might weigh the same amount next time. You can outmaneuver a guy that size. I don't care how good Tyson Fury is. If you're small enough, and Deontay Wilder is a small heavyweight, he's tall and he's rangy, but he's small. He doesn't weigh much. So if he comes into the third fight, maybe around 215, definitely under 220, he might have the ability to just mess Tyson Fury around a little bit, run away from him, do what he criticized Anthony Joshua for doing against Andy Ruiz, and maybe stretch the fight out into the later rounds, maybe try and frustrate Tyson Fury boxing that way. But as I say, Deontay Wilder is not the sharpest tool in the box. I don't think he would do that because... How could he after criticizing AJ for doing exactly that thing? So we'll see what happens. I certainly would be betting my money firmly on Tyson Fury this time around. But it is the heavyweight division and strange things do happen. Okay, Tyson Fury certainly shocked me with his tactics in that rematch. But perhaps Deontay Wilder can shock me with his tactics in the rubber match. We'll see. Let me know what you guys think in the comment section below. It's happening, I'm out. Hi there, I'm Danny Flexen. Welcome to the latest edition of Seconds Out Reflections. I'm here every Monday, 4.30pm, to discuss the boxing action of the weekend just gone. And the big show this weekend was in Texas, um, put on by Matchroom Boxing USA. And the main event saw Mikey Garcia finally get a win at welterweight after last year's drubbing at the hands of Errol Spence. Um, a lot of people still doubt whether he's a true welterweight. He certainly looked a bit more like a podgy lightweight um, in there on Saturday night but was more, far more effective um, against a lower level of opposition albeit a very talented and game Jesse Vargas um, but he was able to get his shots off a lot more effectively than he was against Errol Spence no real surprise there um, there were pluses and minuses to take from the performance um, and immediately rumours swirled afterwards about Mikey fighting Manny Pacquiao in July um, for the WBA title now could that be another step too far? Obviously, his last title 
shot at the IBF Kingdom N2 well for Garcia. Um, Four-weight world champion, of course, dominant in the lighter divisions. Still yet to prove he's a true welterweight. Um, I've put an article up on secondsout.com asking whether he's um, ready for Pacquiao, weighing up the pros and cons of if he can be competitive or even upset the Filipino legend, who obviously is past his prime himself, although he did get a great win over Keith Thurman just last year. Um, back to the Vargas fight. Garcia started quite slowly, been out of the ring um, for about a year since Spence, um, and he's generally quite a patient, methodical fighter anyway. Vargas, on the other hand, seemed hyped up, um, definitely took the first two rounds, maybe more of the first four. Um, scored well with a lead left hook at times as well, um, before Garcia gradually warmed into the fight and went through the gears. Um, was explosive when he needed to be, dropped Vargas with a great right hand in the corner um, in round five and then had him in trouble again in round seven. Once it became clear, however, that Vargas wasn't going to um, be put away too easily, Mikey seemed to go back to his more patient approach um, and probably lost some rounds where he switched off that he didn't need to lose, creating a unanimous decision, but rather too close um, than it should have been, I think. Not not as in the judges got it wrong. I understand why they came to their cars. What I'm saying is Garcia could have made the result a lot clearer, um, but he seemed to go into his shell a little bit once he realised it was going to go to full 12 rounds. Vargas comes out of it with credit, but once again falls short at the very top level, um, as he did against Timothy Bradley and Manny Pacquiao, of course. Um, whereas Garcia can look onwards and upwards, and you can see why he's targeting Pacquiao. Um, he is slightly past his prime. He is probably the weakest of the current welterweight world champions, um, and he's not been the most active. You know, he hasn't fought since last July when he beat Thurman. And if they fight again, it'll be a year out of the ring. Uh, if, he, if he fights again in July this year, it'll be a year out of the ring, of course, for the Pac-Man. Um, but just style-wise, someone who is kind of patient, methodical, um, likes to have a look in the way that Garcia does. Excellent fundamentals, very talented fighter, good variety, good offence and defence, but can be one-paced at times against someone like Manny Pacquiao who does like to work in explosive bursts, has fast feet, fast hands, despite the advancing years. I'm not sure it's the greatest of style matches for Mikey Garcia at welterweight, where he's not quite as quick um, as he was in the lighter divisions. But time will tell, and I do expect that fight to happen in July. So we'll see what goes on. Also in Texas, we saw a changing of the guard at super flyweight. Cal, you fired reigned as WBA champion since 2016, but it had been a rather unremarkable reign full of mandatory challenges and points victories. Well, at least that part of it's over, but your fire won't be happy with the way it ended, taking a largely one-sided beatdown against Roman Chocolatito Gonzalez, um, living legend, um, obviously already um, a three-weight world champion in his own right, the Nicaraguan, and looked as good as ever. It has to be said, a lot of people thought super flyweight was a little bit too big for him, and your fire is a big super flyweight, it's fair to say. Had some success early on with his long jab and some long hooks to the body, but um, Chocolatito quickly got his measure, got his distance, and um, was just a non-stop, fluid punching machine, um, and eventually got Ufai out there. He dropped him in the eighth round, and then early in the ninth, one of the best right hands you'll see this year, I have no doubt, um, took Ufai out of it, could barely stand afterwards, and the referee rightly stopped it. Ufai can still come back, I mean, he's 30 years old, he's not ancient for someone in the lightweight divisions just yet, um, and he's obviously very talented, former GB amateur, but just nothing that he tried went right for him on the night, so he needs to go back to the drawing board. 
No shame, of course, in losing to Chocolatito, who's only lost, of course, to one man, uh, Saw Rong Visaya, um, who beat him um, in 2017. Um, two gruelling fights they had back then. Um, and Chocolatito hasn't had much ring time since then. Um, so we need to see him be a bit more active, ideally. And now it looks like he could have a rematch with a man he beat in the past, but who's improved exponentially since in Juan Francisco Estrada. And they can unify a couple of the belts at Super Flyweight, which would be a massive fight for this year. And I'd really, really love to see it. We also saw Welsh. I'm not mixing up my words. We also saw Welshman Jay Harris. Easy for me to say. Um, step up in class, Brit uh, European and Commonwealth champion. Step up to the world title level to fight the fearsome heavy puncher Julio Cesar Martinez of Mexico, who had that no contest, of course, when he was on top against Charlie Edwards. Uh, beat up Christopher Rosales and eventually stopped him, and also um, beat Andrew Selby with body shots out in Mexico. They clashed, and for a lot of the fight, it was hard to see who was the champion and who was the challenger. Um, Martinez was, you know, a step ahead. I had him clearly winning at the end, and he did drop Harris at one point as well. But generally, Harris held his own. Um, Martinez just had slightly heavier hands, which was quite important, and also was explosive when he wanted to be, had fast hands, and generally, when he wanted to step up the pace, Sometimes Harris went with him and sometimes he didn't. And on occasions when he didn't, I think that proved the difference in the scoring at the end. But Harris has got a lot to take from it or learn from it. First time he's been anywhere near that class as well. And I think he can come again and gradually work his way to another world title shot. As for Martinez, very dangerous fighter, but quite slow feet, I thought, for someone who's the division he's in and got to the level he has. Quite slow feet. Um, shows out quite a lot when he gets tagged as well, which probably doesn't do him a lot of favours with the judges. So if you can stay away from his power for 12 rounds, which is a lot easier said than done, then you give yourself half a chance, as Harris did. But he just wasn't experienced enough or productive enough to get the job done. But at the very, very top of the flyweight division, it'll be interesting to see. They're talking now that Martinez could fight the veteran Maruti Muffalane next. That'll be an interesting clash, and he could test Martinez in ways we have yet to see. Overall, I thought it was a really entertaining show. Um, Martinez-Harris particularly was a really good fight to watch, really absorbing and interesting competitive fight. Um, Gonzalez put on a great performance, albeit in a one-sided fight as it turned out. Um, and in the main event, it was always watchable, although not particularly exciting after round five. Um, but yeah, Mikey Garcia got the job done, goes on to Pacquiao, but questions still remain. Let me know in the comments below what you thought of um, his performance against Jesse Vargas and how you think he might get on against Manny Pacquiao and also what you felt about the other fights on the card and who stood out for you. Um, I'll be back next Monday for the next Reflections, 4.30pm and I'll also be here this Thursday, 4.30pm for Flexpectations when we look ahead to the weekend's action. Always appreciate your time and I'll see you all again soon. Cheers. <laughs>
that Tyson Fury had on him that, that, that wore Deontay down, as well as the punches and everything else he had to deal with. This is the thing. When you train hard and you, you're, you're in, you're in tip-top shape, you push yourself every day to exhaustion, and then you teach yourself to recover. Like, if you're in tip-top shape, I'm talking like, like heavyweight, biggest fight in my life type of shape. I've, I've, I've trained like a Spartan for 10 weeks. You push yourself to a point every day, and then your body learns to recover. So in between rounds, after 30 and 45 seconds, you should be able to get off that stool, no matter how hard the previous round was, and go out there and do what you have to do. The suit may have affected him to a degree, but it should not have affected him or had an outcome on the fight, and I just don't think that that's accurate. Okay. How about a rematch now? People are talking about a rematch, but when I look at this fight, I saw Fury, as he said, 50% of himself. One thing about Tyson Fury is he'll tell you what he's going to do, how he's going to do it, and then he'll go out and do exactly that. Yeah. Like, at a certain point, you got to take someone at their word. You see if they're credible or not. He said, I was a 50% of myself when I fought Deontay the first time. There was good reason for that. I thought he won... Like, I think in now 17, or what is it? No, uh, 12, 19, yeah, 19 rounds they've boxed. I think Tyson Fury has won between 14 and 17 of those rounds. First as a boxer, won almost every round, and got up from Deontay's best yeah. shot in the 12th round to bring the fight to him. And then as a mauler, won every round and beat him up. Why would it be any different in a third fight? The only way that Deontay Wilder can put himself in a position to land the big right hand that made him famous, and that's the only way I believe he can beat Tyson Fury. You've said it before. Many people have said it, and I agree. He cannot outbox Tyson Fury. That's no knock on Deontay, Deontay Wilder. That's, we're just singing the praise of Tyson Fury. He has a track record of not just being a good fighter, not just being a tough guy when he needs to be, but he's also a great boxer. In order for Deontay Wilder to even have a remote chance to put himself in a position to land that shot is to do away with the excuses. I've seen this movie before. I've read this book where punchers, guy who built their reputation on fear and intimidation, all of a sudden that's crack. And the first thing they start groping at is excuses. If it's not the trainer, it's this. If it's not this, it's that I've experienced that with the punchers that I was able to face and able to beat. He's got to own this, Max. He's got to shoulder it. He's got to get quiet. He's got to get away in his bag and really be honest about what did I do wrong in training camp? Was I listening? Was I training property properly? Was it, a, was it a piece of me that really started to believe my own hype and my own headline? That's the only way you can reconstruct and put yourself in that position because if it's everybody else's fault but Deontay Wilder's, he has no chance in the rematch. And even if he does do all the right things, it's going to be really hard to beat Tyson Fury. Tyson Fury's a lot bigger than him, first of all. And Deontay picked up the sport late. I want to make, be very clear about this, though, because a couple times I've probably slipped out and said, oh, he can't box. I think Deontay box is better than giving credit for, actually. It's really not a knock against Deontay. The reason I don't want to see an immediate third fight is, sure, he always has a puncher's chance. Even then, we'll be on pins and needles early in that fight because that's how hard Deontay hits. But I think, of mo I think more of him than just a puncher looking to land a lucky punch. Why would he reduce himself to that where if he builds himself back up properly, not taking an immediate third fight, he can achieve greatness. Maybe greatness again if you already consider him great. I want to get to Mark Breland. Mark Breland threw in the towel. We discussed on the air, and I've been criticized for this and by people who don't pay attention, I suppose. I, I don't think it was a bad stoppage by Mark Breland, but I think there's a legitimate case to be made that Deontay deserved the chance to fight on because JD's, his other trainer, said, I would have let him go. Number one, it's the heavyweight championship of the world. It's not a, 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 a prelim fight or a guy who's getting five or ten grand and he's taking a beating and he has no chance to win because he's not a puncher. I b do believe, even if it sounds barbaric, 
a champion. Two undefeated heavyweight champions fight with a title on the line. That guy has the right to take risks with his life that others do not on the altar of greatness. He has a right to check. Now, I wouldn't dispute Breland's stoppage. If someone said push comes to shove, was it a good stoppage? I'd say yes. I, I come down on the side of Breland. But I think reasonable people can argue about it without the virtue signalers coming out and shouting them all down. So I do agree with Breland, but I could see someone letting that fight go on a little longer, too. Your thoughts? Well, you can always let a fight go on, you know, a little bit longer. And that wasn't the first time Deontay Wilder was in trouble. I think if we're all honest about this, Deontay Wilder was literally on shaky legs for the majority of the fight. And if you know boxing, you get the sense that something was going to happen and it was going to be imminent. If Tyson Fury was able to land up the right kind of shot that he wasn't able to land a couple mm -hmm. rounds before the stoppage, maybe round five and round six, he just couldn't get the right shot. You got the sense that he was getting ready to get that shot in, in the corner, and I think it was a good stoppage. Now, let me say this about Deontay Wilder. He already checked the heart box by getting in the ring because it takes a lot of courage to get into a boxing ring. There were several moments in that corner where Deontay Wilder, he looked visibly beat up. He could have leaned into JDs and said, Coach, stop the fight. He didn't do that. We know Deontay Wilder has heart. Deontay Wilder going out on his shield, Deontay Wilder getting knocked out cold. We're not going to give Deontay Wilder any more credit for his heart than we would if he got stopped on his feet the way that he did. We're even talking about a third fight right now because the, the trainer, Mark Breland, did what he was supposed to do. Imagine the optics, uh, Max, if Deontay Wilder gets knocked out cold, face first, or if he's left in a heap in that corner. You really think a third fight would sell? You really think Deontay Wilder would be in a position psychologically and mentally to do Breland demand? made him money, yep, and he's going to get Listen, fired for it. The fact yep. that we're even talking about this is credit to Mark Breland. We're in a sport where right is considered wrong and wrong is considered right. Mark Breland had more credibility in that corner and on that team than anybody else. He had been knocked out before. He's taken losses before. And we keep talking about Deontay Wilder going out on a shield. I guarantee you, if you talk to the former fighters who actually went out on their shields, talk to them five years down the road, talk to them 10 years down the road. Yeah, talk didn't to need those last couple shots, did they? I guarantee yeah. you, Max, they're not talking the same talk. Thanks for watching ESPN on YouTube. For more sports highlights and analysis, be sure to download the ESPN app. And for live streaming sports and premium content, subscribe to ESPN+. Huge breaking news we can now confirm from the world of boxing that Anthony Joshua's next fight has just this moment been completed, confirmed. It's going to happen. Joshua defending his WBO, WBA and IBF world titles, all three belts against the mandatory challenger, Kubrat Pulev. The date for your diaries, June the 20th. The location... Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. First time that a fight will have been held there. And what an incredible spectacle that will be in that magnificent arena. It's going to be live on Sky Sports box office as well. And what this means is that a unification fight against Tyson Fury that so many boxing fans are eager to see will have to wait. However, good news is it is a homecoming for Joshua that could see 70,000-plus fans in attendance. Uh, Eddie Hearn has just been speaking to our reporter, Craig Slater, on the phone. This is what Mr Hearn had to say. Just amazing to be back. Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, which is, you know, for me, I think one of the best stadiums in the world right now. AJ back in London. 
been a long time. It'll be almost two years when he steps in the ring since that Alexander Povetkin fight at Wembley Stadium. And amazing to be back in what is a very exciting time for the heavyweight division. Tyson Fury's last, I think, four or five fights now have been in America. AJ's last two fights have been on the road. So important for British boxing as well. Anthony returns home. It's going to be a huge night, June 20, Sky Sports Box Office. Obviously, there was uh, hope that maybe we could have the undisputed unification fight when Fury beat Wilder. Then we had the, the rematch clause for that activated. Are these effectively two semi-finals for the grand final between Anthony and Tyson? I think that's the, that's the best way to describe it, what you just said. You know, uh, the two semi-finals, really, this is kind of like the final elimination match for both guys. We had numerous conversations with uh, Bob Arum and Top Rank about making uh, Tyson Fury against Anthony Joshua. We know that when Deontay Wilder exercised that rematch clause, that fight was going to take place. We understand he wants to try and win his belts back. But the great news is, is that that has to take place in July. And we box in June. So now our intention is, and, and those conversations are ongoing now, to finalise the Fury-AJ fight for December of this year. And there's no reason why we can't get that contracted now, subject to both guys winning in the summer. From everything we see in all the conversations with Bob Arum and statements made by Deontay Wilder, he's not stepping aside. He wants this rematch with Tyson Fury. And like I said, the great thing is, is that it will happen in July because the undisputed fight must happen in December or must happen in 2020. And, you know, for me, this is why now all attention must must be focused upon Kubrat Pulev because we've been here before, you know, with the Andy Ruiz fight. All the discussions were about Deontay Wilder, when's the undisputed fight happening. And we all, we all remember what happened on June the 1st, 2019 at Madison Square Garden. So in the gym, working hard, full 100% focus on Kubrat Pulev put in a wonderful performance there at one of the best stadiums in the world in front of 70,000 people in London and then move on to this undisputed fight in December. Pulev's been unbeaten for a long time. He was the former mandatory for Anthony Joshua. He got injured. He's now worked his way back into the mandatory position. Bob Arum, all those guys, they're very concerned. They think Pulev wins this fight. So we've got to just stay focused, make sure there's absolutely no slip-ups in this fight. And, uh, you know, like I said, almost win these semi-finals and move forward to the biggest fight, one of the biggest fights of all time. I think AJ's going to get the chance to revert to his old style in this fight, be more destructive and come forward. You know, we know he had to follow a game plan and box a certain way against Andy Ruiz in that second fight to get the victory. But I think against Pulev, he can enjoy himself. Pulev can punch. He's very dangerous as well. Big, big guy. Uh, technically very, very solid as well. Was a great amateur and has also had a stellar professional career as well. But, yeah, I think you're going to see the, the destructive Anthony Joshua return in this fight. I think he's going to be seeking and destroying, going out, looking to, uh, to knock Kubrat Pulev out. And he's absolutely thrilled, thrilled to be boxing in London again. He's got a real spring in his step. You know, it's been a long, long time. He had plenty of offers of other places to box for this particular fight. He wanted to do it back in the U.K., and I think he's going to soak it up, enjoy the atmosphere, and I think you're going to see a wonderful performance from the ever-improving Anthony Joshua. 
Well, Pulev and Joshua, you remember, almost fought back in 2017. Pulev was announced as his first challenger following that win over Vladimir Klitschko. Uh, but an injury to the Bulgarian saw that fight called off. And in the end, Joshua ended up fighting the Frenchman, Carlos Takam, you remember. And it was a tough fight for Joshua, that, wasn't it? A good fight. Takam did really well. Anyway, Joshua is eight years younger than Pulev, slightly taller. He's got the longer reach. Uh, despite having fewer fights, Joshua has one more by knockout, with uh, both of them losing once in their career. Pulev's only previous world title fight was against Vladimir Klitschko in 2014, which ended in a fifth-round defeat. And Pulev has never fought in the UK before, but he has previously beaten several British fighters after knocking out Matt Skelton. He stopped Michael Sprott as well in 2016. Pulev beat Derek Chisora. Uh, that was on a split decision to win the European heavyweight title. He also beat Tyson Fury's cousin, Huey Fury, back in 2018. And Joshua's announcement just this uh, last few minutes uh, comes after Deontay Wilder triggered the rematch clause for a third fight against Tyson Fury. Fury took Wilder's WBC title in Las Vegas a week ago, as we know. Well, the rematch is likely to take place in July, then it means that a fight to be undisputed world champion won't take place until at least the end of the year. And here's confirmation now on Anthony Joshua's social media accounts. Uh, his, uh, this one's actually his, uh, his Twitter. It's on his Instagram and all the others as well. Uh, and just confirmation, here's the, the poster. Uh, Joshua v. Pulev, as we've told you already, it's going to be live on Sky Sports box office. But the details down here, of course, they're fighting for the IBF, WBA, WBO uh, World Heavyweight Championship. 20th of June 2020, and it's at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, if you can make that out. So a fight at Spurs' new ground for the very first time. So a little bit of history there to be made as well. We look forward to it. I think AJ's a phenomenal fighter. It will be explosive early doors, and it depends how Tyson Fury deals with the shots that he's getting caught with by Andy Joshua in the early rounds. AJ comes at Tyson, Tyson's the better boxer. If Tyson presses him, I believe that Tyson's smarter, got better timing and more variability to his game. Welcome back to No Filter Boxing. Now, we spoke about the rematch in detail. Now, let's get on to the trilogy. OK, fellas, is it going to happen? Ben? Um, obviously, the ball's in, in Deontay Wilder's court. Uh, the decision will be up to him. There's a few ways to look at it. If I was his manager, if I was his manager, I would say to generate the most money, allow Tyson and AJ to fight, but it's in the contract, I'll take a good percentage of that, take a good cut, I have a, a comfortable fight in, in the meantime, and I fight the winner, simple as that, and generate the most money from the situation that you're in, because there's a massive lucrative fight there. As a trainer, as a, as a you know, ideally you'd go away and work on things, come back, whether he's willing to do that, I don't know, as a fighter, you take it. What can he do different to win okay. the fight against Tyson First, first and foremost, get the weight off and get back to your natural weight. He's like a basketball player. He needs to be light. He's a freak of nature. He punches way harder than someone of his skinny frame should yeah. do. I've sparred him. I know that I know he has that. And that was all the way back in 2011 and 2013. So now, I believe he's probably punched even harder. Tyson Fury... I just feel maybe has his number. I'm not sure that the fundamentals that he lacks, he can make up in one training camp, or two training camps, or 10 training camps. When you have somebody start bo starts boxing when they're a kid and then become a 30-year-old man, that's like 25 years of his life he's been boxing. 
times that by by Wilder started when he was 18. You can't make you can't bridge that gap. And I think if he's going to do it, he's going to do it by knockout. And his best chance is to go straight back in there and just try and do it. Okay, so let's look to the future. Whatever happens in the trilogy, um, the big fight that everyone wants to see, it's on everyone's minds, on everyone's lips, is an Anthony Joshua fight. Ben, if you were training Tyson to box AJ, style-wise, how would you prepare him? How would Tyson Fury beat Anthony Joshua, for instance? I believe that it'll be a fight where the first round will be a telling round to say that's how the fight's going to play out. That's the attack tactics that both will have to adopt because AJ will have to try things that, to see how they work and Tyson will have to try things to see how they work. The first round will be important. The problem is for AJ, if he sort of does a version of what he done against Andy Ruiz, if David's AJ and he's moving yeah. around side by side, Tyson can mentally keep him working like what he did with his aggressive lead yeah. hand position. If AJ steps in, he's got that ability to step yeah. back out and then close the gap back yeah. on. And he's constantly making AJ mentally work. I don't think AJ's got the, the engine of Tyson. I don't think he's got the mental capacity of Tyson. He's got Again, a he's got, AJ's got a crisp, sharp jab. And if he, start, if he gets some momentum in the jab and lands a few jabs and puts uh, Fury on the sort of back foot... But is he, could, is he, is is he, can he spring into his attacks quicker than Wilder? I don't think so. He doesn't spring in, he doesn't close the distance like Wilder does. They're very and different. Tyson's got a longer they're, they're reach. They're both the same height. They're both the same height. Wilder and uh, Joshua, both very similar heights. Okay, then here's a question. But I tell you what, 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 would 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 um, Tyson Fury's style against Deontay Wilder going forward would that suit Anthony Joshua? I think I think it'd be difficult because then if AJ's yeah. now coming at Tyson, we know Tyson's yeah, got this. Yeah. Here, switch yeah. up, flick, yeah. flick, faint. Would Joshua want Tyson Fury to come at him? It's such a good fight. I I, I can see it happen in so many different ways. Um, Tyson Fury has shown he can compete at a level. He's done it against Klitschko and he's done it against Wilder twice. Um, Anthony Joshua hasn't had to compete at that level yet. He did it with uh, Vladimir, he got knocked down against Vladimir. He won it in a more spectacular fashion, won it by stoppage, but it was a harder fight. Other than Klitschko, there's never been anyone Wilder's level yet. You know, so just because he hasn't done it yet doesn't mean he can't do it. But I'd, I, I can't so who would be the favourite? The, the, Tyson would be the favourite. Yeah. I always feel, I feel like, obviously, having worked with Tyson in the situation, I always feel like I'm almost. This almost comes across as I'm going against AJ. I think AJ's a phenomenal fighter. Mm. He's a beast of a human. The problem is, I just feel that Tyson's better in every way. Like we say, if mm. AJ comes at Tyson, Tyson's the better boxer. If Tyson presses him. I believe that Tyson's smarter, got better timing and more variability to his game. I think that AJ's only option, and it's for a short window, is here because he's such a big, strong man. But how long can he keep that up for? Tyson's engine is, you know, phenomenal. Tyson, when he's inside, he's loose and he doesn't use up that much energy. Um, AJ's a little, a little tighter with his movements. He holds his form nice and tight and he throws crisp, crisp shots. It will be explosive early doors, and it depends how Tyson Fury deals with the shots that he's getting caught with by Anthony Joshua in the early rounds. Anyone getting hit on the chin by Anthony Joshua in the first couple of rounds are going are gonna to yeah, feel it for I, damn I, sure. I, I just think that Joshua will, will struggle to land on Tyson. OK, on the spot, who wins? Fury, Fury or AJ? At the moment, I have to lean towards... After, after watching uh, Tyson Fury live on Saturday night, it was insane... Uh, I've never seen a heavyweight come out and just perform so perfectly. Um, so 
I'd have to lean towards Tyson, but I want, I want to see it, and I, but I do think um, Andy Joshua has a, a massive chance in the fight if he can land the crisp combinations and gets his double jab going. He's got a great jab, um, Andy Joshua. It's hard, it's crisp, and he can get him on it if he can knock the head up and get the right hand over. He's got a chance. The, the key thing is they're still both learning. Yeah. They're still both improving, yeah. you know. Um, Joshua's shown his versatility in, 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 the, in the Ruiz rematch. Tyson's shown his versatility in, in the Wilder rematch. But I think that Tyson is the best of this era and it's only a matter of time before, although he's already shown that, just to cement it. Hey guys, thanks for watching. If you enjoyed this video, make sure to subscribe here at Fino Boxing, like this video, and leave your comments down below. And follow us at all our social media platforms at Fino Boxing, and my personal one is at Adriana underscore sports. Of course, there is a number. That we'll yeah, there's up, a number. Of course, but I think, I just think that his, his mindset is nothing. Because he never wanted to give AJ the shot anyway. So this will give him the shot undisputed and he'll be he'll be he'll be laying out the path to AJ to say, There you go, you take it. And that he couldn't do that. He couldn't bring himself to do that. Because he, he just turned down hundred million for three fights. So he's not gonna take ten million to give AJ the shot undisputed, you know? Well he does have some things he has to work on. No. Oh, yeah, a lot of well, yeah, he's got to speak to his costume designer and get a new costume. <laughs> <laughs> the Dillian White take the upside money from uh, Wambler? Would Dillian White... Or did he? Did he take step-aside money? Um, did Dillian White take step-aside money from Deontay Wilder? Yeah. He's what, a manager at WBC. Um, what are you talking about? I'm, I'm not asking if he's took any sort of step-aside money, or you know, of him taking step-aside money. He's waiting 400 <laughs> days. Actually, 800 days. <laughs> to fight for the world title. Dillian White would not take $20 million to step aside to fight Deontay Wilder. Eddie, can you talk about the energy from the crowd mm. tonight? Obviously, Dallas mm. is always shooting. It's amazing. It is a big building. I mean, you can get 16,000. It is a big building. And it's, it's the stands are quite a long way back from the ring. You know, but it's a great building as well. And working with Dallas Cowboys was fantastic. We had 11, my worry, my worry coming to this building is we had, we had 11,000 in, which was good. Still, you could see that the ends we, we uh, closed off. But if you did five, it would look terrible. You know what I mean? And I don't know, I think they did a Cobbledale fight last year. That yeah. Was, yeah. Like, yeah. 2,000, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it, yeah. So it's such a massive building that you really need to make sure you're doing over 10, because otherwise it's, but, you know, the fans, they, they seem very knowledgeable. As I was walking out, I was chatting to all of them. You know, they were going through the card, and they loved the card. And I think that, like I said, it's just about giving value for money. And I don't think anyone left thinking they didn't get value for money. You know, they saw a great flyweight fight for the world title. Sorry. Here we go. Hey guys, thanks for watching. If you enjoyed this video, make sure to subscribe here at Fino Boxing, like this video, and leave your comments down below. And follow us at all our social media platforms at Fino Boxing. And my personal one is at Adriana underscore sports.